Welcome to The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig, a podcast which endeavors to expose the truth behind legal stories that are distorted by mainstream media. And now, here's your host, passionate truth seeker and veteran attorney, Jill Rosenzweig. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig. I'm your host, Jill Rosenzweig, and today I want to talk to you about Brett Kavanaugh and the talk about impeaching him. But before we get to that, I just wanted to take a quick break so that you could hear from my sponsor, and then we'll get on with the podcast. Hey, what's the Wi-Fi password? Do I have any PTO days left? My monitor's acting up. Can you take a look? Are we off to Friday after Thanksgiving? Today's workplace is full of internal requests, many of which are asked over and over again. In our on-demand world, employees expect answers immediately, which leads to clogged inboxes, unresolved tickets, and major headaches for everyone. If this sounds familiar, you need Spoke. Spoke uses artificial intelligence to answer those repetitive questions you're so tired of answering, and machine learning helps the product get smarter with every use. For questions Spoke can't help with, like, my laptop isn't working, Spoke will automatically route the request to the right team and team member with all the details of the request. Spoke also lets employees make these requests wherever they're used to working, whether Slack, email, web browser, and even SMS. Say goodbye to those clunky ticketing systems your employees hate using, and hello to simple, human, and conversational request management. To see how Spoke can help, visit askspoke.com and book a demo today. That's askspoke.com. Thank you so much to my sponsor, Spoke. Uh, If you have a chance, please check that company out. Uh, They have a great product, and I'm sure you'll be really happy to see what they have to offer. Um, And so now let's talk about Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, I'm not going to inject my thoughts about him in here. I'm just going to talk to you about the concept of impeachment and what exactly that would look like and how it works Uh, I know that even for myself, I found it to be a little bit murky when people talk about impeachment. How does that happen? What do you need to show in order to impeach someone? What does it actually mean to impeach someone? Uh, And so I am going to discuss the history of impeachment and how it works exactly so that you'll understand the realistic probability as to whether or not this Supreme Court justice could be impeached. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Donald Trump getting impeached in this episode, but some of the stuff that I'm talking about definitely would apply to Donald Trump. So you can sort of think about what I'm saying and apply it to him as you may. And so just from the beginning, I want to talk to you about the articles in the Constitution that talk about impeachment and where that concept comes from within the Constitution itself. So there are a few different references to impeachment within the Constitution. And the first is in Article 1, the Constitution says that it confers on the House of Representatives the sole power of impeachment. Article 1 of the Constitution goes on to say that the Senate has the power to try all impeachments. And it also says that no person shall be convicted without the concurrence of two-thirds of the members present. So essentially what that means is that two-thirds of the Senate has to agree to convict the person who's being impeached. The Constitution also says that the consequence of being impeached shall not extend further than removal from office and disqualification 
from holding future positions in office. And so what this means in plain English is that the House of Representatives is the one that uh, decides to go forward with an impeachment process. And then the trial itself is conducted by the Senate. And essentially, the way that this whole thing works is that the impeachment proceedings begin with the presentation of charges or allegations. And that typically occurs when a House member introduces a resolution to the House of Representatives. And essentially, what the House member is asking for is for there to be an impeachment investigation. And that's something that did happen with the impeachment resolution that was presented by Ayanna Presley a few days ago. She presented a resolution. And I looked at the resolution itself, and I actually expected that there would be um, some basis within the resolution to say why she feels there should be an impeachment proceeding. But she doesn't say anything like that. The resolution doesn't say anything in terms of why Brett Kavanaugh should be impeached. It just asks that it be resolved that the committee on the judiciary shall inquire whether the House of Representatives should impeach Brett Kavanaugh. And then it says um, basically nothing else, really. I mean, the other language in there is is pretty um, standard and it really doesn't go into the why. Um, and I was surprised by that. But basically what happens after this is that the House has to sign off on this resolution, and that would sort of kick off the process. And then there would be an investigation that would be conducted. And it's kind of similar to a criminal indictment by a grand jury in that it's essentially unproven accusations. And the impeachment would actually occur if the House voted by a simple majority and adopted the resolution. And so just to give you the history of this over the years, the House has adopted 19 of the 60 resolutions of impeachment that were introduced since America was founded. And 15 of those impeached officials have been judges, including one Supreme Court Associate Justice back in 1804 by the name of Samuel Chase. And 11 of the 19 impeachments included articles that alleged non-criminal misconduct. And so essentially what that means is that only a third of the articles presented in those impeachments actually included criminal statute violations. And that's saying something here. And some of the people who were impeached after the House adopted these impeachments some people just resign from office. So nothing proceeded beyond that. So if you resign before there is a Senate trial or there's a conviction within the Senate, then that's the way you're removed and that's the end of it. So it's not like, um, you know, some people just say Brett Kavanaugh, for example, if the House decides to move forward and pass this resolution to impeach him, if he just steps down before there's a trial, that's one way that this whole thing could shake out though I, I doubt that would happen, but still, that is a possibility here. Um, but just assuming that doesn't happen here, uh, and just assuming, I guess, for the moment, that the House decides to move forward with this impeachment, what happens after that, if, there, uh, if it passes through the House, then it goes over to the Senate, and the Senate has the sole power to try the impeachment, 
And that impeachment trial usually goes through uh, an impeachment trial committee. The last time this happened was in 2010. And at that time, there were 12 senators that were on this committee, six of whom were Republicans and six were Democrats. The committee conducts the trial and then the committee prepares a detailed report of the evidence and gives that to the full Senate. And then the Senate votes on whether or not to convict. And in order for the person to be convicted and removed from office, two-thirds of the Senate has to vote in order to convict that person. The person who's been impeached and convicted uh, is not penalized criminally. There are no fines or sanctions or jail time. The only consequence of this whole thing is that they cannot hold their position anymore, and potentially they can no longer hold any public office position. And so that's really what we're talking about here. But when you look at the idea that it it goes through this whole process and you really need ultimately to have two thirds of the Senate voting to convict someone, the bar is really high. So that's the process itself. But then we should talk about what exactly is an impeachable offense. And when you apply that concept to Brett Kavanaugh, what exactly has he done that would qualify as grounds to uh, not only impeach him, but convict him and have him removed from office. And and that's where things, I think, get very murky. And so when you look at the language in the Constitution, it says that the president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And really the question here is whether or not Uh, Anything that Brett Kavanaugh is accused of constitutes a high crime or misdemeanor. And when you look at there, there are all sorts of articles interpreting this language. And it's pretty much understood that the words crimes and misdemeanors don't mean what you'd think they would mean in terms of criminal law. So it's not like he had to commit an actual crime or a misdemeanor offense in order to be impeachable. But the idea that it seems like the framers of the Constitution were looking for things that rise to the level of treason or bribery. When we look at uh, House Minority Leader Gerald Ford in 1970 was quoted to have said, what then is an impeachable offense? The only honest answer is that an impeachable offense is whatever a majority of the House of Representatives considers it to be at any given moment in history. Also, the Justice Department's Office of Legal Counsel weighed in on this issue and said, one fundamental issue is whether a high crime or misdemeanor must be a criminal offense. The answer is no. This phrase is a term of art that must be construed not according to modern usage, but according to what the framers meant when they adopted it. And the Office of Legal Counsel goes on to say, from the English experience... And the reason why they reference that is that the whole concept of impeachment comes from England. Uh, The framers understood that impeachable misconduct is not necessarily limited to common law or statutory derelictions or crimes. In other words, criminality is not necessary for conduct to be impeachable. And rather, impeachment is more designed to protect the public interest than to punish the person impeached. And the framers intended impeachment to be a constitutional safeguard of the public trust. And I think that's important to sort of highlight here is the concept of safeguarding the public trust. 
And and frankly, I think that that's really if you're going to look at a reason as to why it might be appropriate to impeach Brett Kavanaugh, I think that that would really be the basis is does the public have confidence in him and are the things that are alleged about him affecting the public's trust of Brett Kavanaugh as a Supreme Court justice and possibly the Supreme Court in general? Another thing that we can look at in terms of trying to understand uh, what exactly constitutes grounds for impeaching someone, uh, there was a report in 1974 that was published uh, following President Nixon's resignation, and the report concluded that American impeachments fall into three categories. One is exceeding the powers of the office in derogation of those of another branch of government. Uh, Two is behaving in a manner grossly incompatible with the proper functions and purpose of the office. And three is employing the power of the office for an improper purpose or personal gain. And I think that a lot of that, when you look at those, even just those three reasons as to why someone could be impeached, I think the argument can be advanced that it really relates to conduct during the time that you are in office. Um, So that raises the question as to whether or not the things that Brett Kavanaugh is alleged to have done years ago falls within these categories of why you would impeach someone, uh, because these are these are claims that are decades old. Um, and so that's where I think that people would argue that you cannot point to things that he may have done uh, when he was in high school or college and use those things as grounds to impeach him now. So there are certain things that he's alleged to have done that may fall under the idea that he did it while he was a judge. And so if we're just talking about the sexual misconduct allegations, I think that there is a greater chance personally of supporting an impeachment and conviction if you're looking at the idea that he lied under oath. I think that that might be a stronger argument because when he was being questioned about the allegations, just say we're able to prove that the sexual misconduct allegations are true. Okay, so let's assume that for a moment. If they turn out to be true, and then we can prove that he lied under oath, I think that is something that you could say, okay, he was a sitting judge at the time that he lied. And then I think that that might fall under this prong of behaving in a manner grossly incompatible with the proper functions and purpose of the office. And the reason why I say that is because I think especially judges uh, are held to a standard of being honest. I think perjury goes to the very heart of being a judge. Uh, You know, the whole concept of of being a judge is that you're supposed to be evaluating the testimony of witnesses and holding them to a standard of honesty and credibility. And so when you're an acting judge, if you're a sitting judge and you're lying, it it sort of um, affects the public trust to say that we trust you to be a sitting justice on the Supreme Court if you can't be honest. Um, So I think that that, to me, is the angle if you were to proceed with the impeachment process is to say that One, you'd have to establish that the allegations are true. 
Two, you would have to also establish that Brett Kavanaugh was lying. And I think that there's also a distinction there. So just say it's true. Everything that that Dr. Ford claimed was true and the claim by uh, Ramirez is true. And then the third claim that is recently coming to light is actually true, even though the victim in that situation apparently is not willing to comment on the story and her friends are saying she does not remember it. Let's assume it's true. Then you have to establish that Brett Kavanaugh lied. And to establish that he lied, you'd have to prove that he actually remembers these incidents and he's covering it up. And maybe he is, but how do you prove that? So in order to prove that, you would have to get people to come forward to uh, say that he admitted to it, that he uh, knows that it happened. So they'd have to have some sort of evidence. And um, so there, there are some high burdens here in terms of proving that he lied under oath. So let's just say for a moment that you're not able to prove that he lied about anything under oath. Just say it's proven that Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted certain people when he was in high school or college. Then you look at the idea is having behaved in that manner all those years ago, grossly incompatible with the proper functions and purpose of the office that he sits in. And I guess you could make the argument that if he is someone who sexually assaulted someone or behaved in a way that was sexually inappropriate years ago, is the idea that someone like that, someone who's capable of doing those things, is that behavior from years ago grossly incompatible with the proper function of being a sitting Supreme Court justice. And maybe you could make the argument that it is grossly incompatible because being a Supreme Court justice, you should be someone who people trust. And again, this goes back to the idea that the public should be trusting you. And maybe just by virtue of the fact that you've done these things, you are no longer trustworthy. And when you think about the issues that the Supreme Court is weighing in on, uh, there are many issues that relate to women's rights. And you might conclude that this is someone who you don't want to entrust in making decisions that affect women's rights. And, um, you know, just the idea that maybe you could conclude that he uh, lacks morals and integrity and he's just not a trustworthy person. Uh, do you want someone like that making decisions, even on issues that go beyond women's rights and affect the public at large? Um, so I think that maybe you could make that argument. Though, again, I do think that the safer argument is to focus on the idea that he lied under oath. Um, but then again, proving that he lied under oath is trickier than proving the allegations of sexual misconduct, because he can always argue, I was very drunk and I don't remember having done that. And so you do have this second prong of proving that he actually knows what happened and lied about it. And so um, I think maybe the idea that he just did these things years ago might be grounds to have him convicted and removed from his position as a sitting justice of the Supreme Court. Um, but again, I think that conventionally speaking, the focus has really been on things that people have done while in office 
And so that's why I think that the safer bet is to sort of focus on the Senate hearings and whether or not he was being honest and truthful when he testified. Um, You know, the other thing that people have talked about is Brett Kavanaugh, um, just the way that he conducted himself during those Senate hearings that you can maybe argue that his behavior was um, just unbecoming of a judge. But I believe that that would never rise to the level of saying that it was grossly incompatible with the proper functions and purpose of his office. I think that that's a bit of a stretch. So to me, the issue would come down to whether or not you could prove that he lied. And I think that that would be very difficult. And then you have to look at the standard of what it takes to convict him. And I think that that's another thing that was very surprising to me to understand is that there is actually no standard of proof in the Senate trial that is commonly agreed upon and understood. And so essentially what that means is that some senators will apply uh, beyond a reasonable doubt standard where unless they feel that it's been proven beyond a reasonable doubt that Brett Kavanaugh behaved in a manner grossly incompatible with the proper functions and purpose of office, they will not convict him and have him removed from office. Other people in the Senate might apply a much lower standard. Uh, So there are ranges of the standard of proof that are commonly understood in law. There is the preponderance of the evidence standard, which basically means that it's more likely than not that Brett Kavanaugh lied. Uh, that's basically a 51% burden of proof. So you say, is it more likely than not? That That's a pretty low standard. That's the lowest standard that you will have. Then there is the beyond a reasonable doubt standard, which is extremely high. It, it's basically you're convinced, you're absolutely convinced that there's really no way in your mind that the evidence doesn't show that he lied. And then there's sort of a middle ground, which is, uh, clear and convincing evidence ground where you're, you feel that the evidence is clear and convincing, but it's not so high as to be beyond a reasonable doubt. And what is crazy about this Senate process is that there is no standard of proof applied. And so every senator can sort of choose what standard they want to apply to the situation. And because of that, you are then relying on two thirds of the Senate to apply a standard that will allow Brett Kavanaugh to be convicted. And if people don't want to convict him, they'll simply apply the beyond a reasonable doubt standard, which is extremely high and difficult to overcome. And if people do want to convict him, they'll apply the preponderance of the evidence standard. And so really what you're looking at is this kind of willy-nilly process where people will choose to apply whatever standard they want based upon what they want the outcome to be. And when you look at the political climate that we have right now, you have to assume that people within the Senate are going to use the flexibility of the standard of proof to justify whatever outcome they want there to be. So the bottom line here is that the idea that you would be able to successfully impeach and convict Brett Kavanaugh is very, very small. And you have to keep in mind that a lot of people will argue that even if he lied under oath, 
that they may say, well, he was not a sitting Supreme Court justice at the time, so that doesn't count either. So there are a lot of ways to get around impeaching him and convicting him. And so I feel like this is an exercise in futility. Uh, and I think also when you look at Ayanna Presley's statement as to why she filed this resolution, she says, again, it's deeply disturbing that someone that serves in the highest court of the land could have this many allegations. And this is why I filed the resolution to initiate an impeachment inquiry. And I think that she needs to be a little bit careful here because if the focus is on whether or not Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted uh, people when he was in high school or college, I think that that's going to be um, a non-starter. I think really it's a two-prong analysis. It's whether or not he committed the things that people are accusing him of, but then more importantly, did he lie about it under oath? Because I really think it's what he's doing now as a judge that matters. And if you focus too much on what he did when he was in high school and college, but you're not thinking about, well, what did he do when he was uh, before the Senate and testifying about those things? I mean, that's really the focus I think that you need to have is what he, what did he do during that process? Did he lie under oath? That, to me, is a better way of approaching the situation and creates a greater likelihood that you might have su some success in trying to impeach and convict him. So those are my thoughts on the issue. I do think that it is not very likely that this will be a successful venture. And I also think that just from a political perspective, you have to be careful about going down a road that you know you will lose. Um, I think that the other side of it might be that you do what's right. And even if you don't get anywhere with it, it's important for this information to come out. And I, I do appreciate that. And I think that it is important to find out the truth about these things. And obviously, that didn't happen uh, initially, when these claims were sort of passingly investigated. And so I do appreciate it from that standpoint. But I think the idea of Brett Kavanaugh being impeached and convicted ultimately is extremely unrealistic. Uh, and so those are my thoughts. And um, I'd love to hear from you. What do you think should happen here? Do you agree that this impeachment process should move forward? Do you think that there is a possibility that it will, will be successful? I, I'd love to hear what you think. So please feel free to reach out to me. You can comment on Instagram or send me a DM or email me. Uh, you can find me at thewholetruthpod at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at The Whole Truth Pod, and uh, I have my Facebook group, The Whole Truth with Jill Rosenzweig, is on Facebook. So I'd love to hear from you. Hope you've had a great week, and uh, I'll talk to you next time. <laughs>